We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. When we get to Colossians chapter 3, Paul's been talking about the doctrinal side of things for two solid chapters. You see a transition in chapter 3, and what you're going to see in chapters 3 and 4 of Colossians, instead of, focusing on the instead of focusing on the doctrinal side, now we're focusing on the practical side. How then should we live? Because of what we believe, how should we behave? And so as we journey through the next several sections together, you're going to see so much practical application that it jumps right off the page. So let's start seeing that together by standing and reading together Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read the first four verses together. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Lord, teach us today to have the right focus, that we may set our mind on things above where you, Jesus, are seated at the right hand of God. It is to you that we offer this prayer in your name. Amen. Please be seated this morning. And our big idea this morning, it comes right out of the text. We just prayed it together. The big idea simply this morning is that you would set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is going to flesh itself out. Just two major points this morning. Very simple outline this morning. I'll go ahead and give those to you. Number one, number one, if you're to set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, you're doing that because of who you are, number one, because of who you are, and secondly, because of what is to come. Because of who you are and because of what is to come. Now, we're going to talk first about what it looks like because of who you are. Who are you in Christ? The text definitively answers that question. Look with me at the very first phrase that we read, read together. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. That is a, that is a definite it is saying that this is absolutely, positively, it has already happened. You are not just waiting to be raised with Christ, but you have been resurrected with Christ because you died to the old self and you were now brought back again into a new life, into a new birth. You have been born again. You have been justified. You have been redeemed. You have been raised with Christ. And because you have been raised with Christ, it brings an obligation onto your life. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 tells us that we are strangers and exiles on the earth. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. So what we know from these texts is, is that we are not to forget who we are. Who are we? We are people who are now died dead to sin, the penalty has been paid, and that means that our sin can no longer condemn us. Look with me at verse 3. When, it, when we take that jump, you see what it says there? That you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
It means that you share a life with both the Father and the Son, and though the world may not be able to understand it, it makes you as a believer eternally secure. It's interesting, uh, the other night at the night of worship, one of the texts that we read out together was Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And, and I want you to hear these words because it's fascinating to me how Paul phrased it. He says, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, what's fascinating about that is that, yes, I have been called. Yes, I have been predestined. Yes, I have been obviously justified if I'm saved. But Paul uses the word glorified in the same verb tense as he did all those other things. Called would have been past tense if you're thinking about it in an order, right? Justified would have been past tense when I got saved. Sanctified, you would think about that, is both past and present and future tense. That's happening now. But glorified, you would think that that would take place only when I die or am raptured. But Paul speaks of it as if it has already happened. Why? Because even though it hasn't occurred, I've already been raised with Christ, and my glorification, my security in Christ, my security that I've been hidden with Christ in God, did you see that in verse 3? It is definite. It's not a maybe. It's not a hopefully. When I talk about my identity in Christ, it is that forevermore, I already know that my glorification is just as sure as my justification. My justification is just as sure as my election. My election is just as sure as my calling all of those things go together. So if you believe that God can call you, and if you believe that God can justify you, it means there is a security to know that He's also going to glorify you. And so we set our mind now, what the Bible says, because of who we are, we set our mind on something completely different than what's going on around us. Our earthly practice is to be worthy of our heavenly position. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said. I love this short quote. He said, The desire of the spiritual man is to die right rather than live wrong. The desire of the spiritual man is to die right rather than to live wrong. When we understand who we are in Christ, that we've been hidden with Christ in God, then it leads us to understand that because that is a certainty, we also know, number two, that what is to come is a certainty. Look at the second part of verse 1. It's so good. We set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Where? At God's right hand. Where are we to set our minds? On things above. Where is above? It's talking about in the heavenlies. Now, it's interesting because we're called to set our minds on something that you've never seen. Now, if you tell me to focus on something I have seen, then that seems to me to be more doable. But the charge on my life is to set my mind on things above. Now, this isn't about thinking about physical objects that are going to be in heaven. This is about thinking about an eternal life that is to come. If you were to take your life and compare it with eternity, it would be like taking one grain of sand off the seashore and setting it aside and then looking at all of the beaches on the rest of the world and you would realize that this little dot of time, this little grain of sand, this, this little millisecond in comparison with all of the time that's in the universe is all we've got. 
So if we understand that and we grasp an eternal perspective, it then calls us to think about living in light of that day on this day, that this is not all there is. The reason there are so many songs, there's so many hymns like we sung this morning about that day when it comes, the reason that we are called to sing and think about heaven is because it is a reality. And when we think about that reality, it helps us to understand better the reality around here, what's taking place in the here and now. Now, I will warn you that if you're going to think about heaven, you need to think about the biblical descriptions of heaven. I want to just give a, a very clear warning to you. The Bible is very clear. I don't need any more than what the Bible tells me to want heaven. It's a place of no more crying. It's a place of no more pain, no more tears. It's a place of perfection. Sin does not exist. Sickness does not exist. It's a place of absolute wonder where we are going to be in perfect relationship with God. We are going to be in perfect relationship with all of the saints above. It is a place where we will be secure forever. There will be no more stresses. There will be no more worries. There will be no more pain. And if you're saved, that ought to be somewhere you look forward to. But also, if you've lost people in your life, friends, I want you to know if they're saved by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, we say this at funerals, but the Bible absolutely teaches this as a certainty. They are better off. They're better off now than they've ever been. They're in a place now that even in the best day of their life, it wouldn't compare, and the Bible tells me that. So because the Bible tells me enough about heaven that I know, I don't have to worry about people's fanciful descriptions or visions that people have said they had or that people died and came back. I want to stay with what I know the Bible teaches because it is sufficient to be able to tell me why I should long for heaven and think about what is to come. And it even gives me the foremost, number one practical reason why I ought to desire heaven. Look with me at what it says. It says that we are to set our hearts on things above, and the reason is, is because Christ is seated there, and where is He seated? At the right hand of God. You, you could do a, a survey of the Bible and look at all the times it talks about the right hand of God. To be seated, to be placed at the right hand of God. That is the place of majesty, the place of authority, the place of honor. And so the main reason that we desire this, the next world and not the world we're living in, first and foremost, is because Jesus is there. So he, not anything in the present world, is to be the center of the believer's universe. Not honor, not wealth, not position. So I wonder, could we take just a moment this morning, and I want you to think about a few things. Have you noticed throughout the course of your life, and you don't have to be, I mean, children in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Adults too. Have you noticed how the possessions of our life, the things that we acquire, that, that they really don't have a lasting value, that they really don't, even at, no matter how bad you wanted it, after you get it, it doesn't take very long for the new to wear off. Have you noticed that? I mean, it happens all the time. You can get as basic as a pair of shoes. I mean, you can't wait to get them, then you wear them once, and then they're just old shoes. You can jump up to a car. There's every one of you, at some point in your life, there's been some vehicle that you thought, that is the deal. Maybe it was a truck, a certain four-wheel drive, you had to have it, you had to have it, certain car, and you get it, and you're fired up, and then you drive it for a little while, and then what? 
the new car smell starts to dissipate, and you just got a car. We could go on and on and on and on. All of the things that we develop in this world and get in this world, it's not that they don't have any satisfaction because they do have a short-term satisfaction, but there's a reason why they don't satisfy completely. But it's not just those things. What about, what about relationships? I think one of the, 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 the reasons that so many relationships are failing, marriages are failing, is because we expect out of a relationship what only God can give. And if I expect another human being to give me and fulfill me and meet every one of my needs, then I have lifted that person up like an idol, and no human being can ever do that. So possessions can't do it, relationships can't do it. For some of you, you've looked up and, and you realize you've achieved way more than you ever thought you would. You've achieved positions and authority, and you've been promoted, and you've got honors, and you've got degrees, and that's incredible. But how many of you have sat sometimes at night and looked at all of the accomplishments and gone, man, just not quite as fired up about that as I thought I was going to be. And we could keep going. But the point is this, friends. It is a gift of God that when you take all of those things in full measure and you recognize that they have some form of satisfaction, but they don't provide any ultimate satisfaction, it's teaching you that there's something inside you that desires more, that desires more than the next new thing, that desires more than wealth, that desires more than position, that desires more than any human relationship can provide. And so that's what the Bible is teaching about this God-sized vacuum that's in our heart that God calls us into his life and into a life with Christ so that we would be focused not on what is here but on what is to come this is not to say some people have misinterpreted this passage and so many others to say that Christians should just withdraw from the world that, that we should just completely withdraw from the world and that's absurd but it's that we shouldn't live as if all of these things that we're talking about are all that matter you see, what we set our minds on, our mindset determines our life's direction. And if we set our minds on things above, it's going to make an eternal difference in our life. So, so let's talk for just a moment about what it says in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. Very clearly it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where moths do not destroy now certainly that's been preached many times when it comes to financial giving and that's certainly an application of that but there's an even bigger application of that of understanding your entire life ought to be with this understanding that everything in this world is going to be gone and all that's going to be left is what we have stored up in heaven and how we have lived this life in light of that mind and in light of that opportunity so our mindset is a deliberate act. It requires effort. So it means that we are to not just look at what we have in these moments, but we are to look forward towards what is next. And let's see what's next. Watch this. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. There is coming a time 
either by death or by rapture, that you are going to be in heaven with Christ. And so because of that, we're called to look forward until that day. How many of you know, even temporally, you need things in your life to look forward to? I think one of the reasons that people get, can get so off base and so depressed is they don't have anything in, in the immediate or distant future that they're looking forward to. And if we don't have that, it takes away any motivation. We find ourselves in the ho-hum, just getting through the day. And so we're built to have goals, things that we're shooting for, things that we're looking forward to. And when it comes to this, this ultimate destiny that we're looking forward to, when we're talking about heaven, I, I, I'm so, I, I thought about I couldn't get it out of my mind this week. One of the privileges of serving a church is getting to hang out with students and, and just seeing how God moves in their life and what God has for them. And I, I love this about students is if you, you haven't hung out with a junior high or a high school kid, you, you need to spend some serious time with them because I love the fact that, that they really know that, that, that the world really is all in front of them, that, that life is all in front of them, that the opportunities are endless, that, that they truly, truly believe as they should that, that they can go out and seize the day and seize these opportunities. And so one of the things that happens is they begin looking forward to the next stages of life, right? You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. I, I can remember even myself I, and certain students, they're in the sixth grade, right? And they cannot wait to get to seventh grade. Because if I can get to junior high, then I'm going to get to be in the student ministry and I'm going to be older and, and, and I can't wait to get to junior high. And, and then, then you get to junior high and you're like, man, I can't wait to get to high school. That, that's, where, that's where it's happening is at high school. And I want to get to high school. And then high school rocks along. And then what happens? Have you ever hung out with a high school senior? Oh, man, it, they can tell you the number of days. 47 more days till graduation. 36 more school days until graduation. And they're counting it down because they're, they're wanting to, to, to get out of this environment and start a whole new environment. Well, I can tell you for one that I'm, I've heard different people debate about this. I'll tell you where I am on it. I would have no desire to know what day I'm going to die. I would have no desire to know how long I'm going to live. I, that would not be healthy for me. I'm glad God knows that and he has not revealed that to me. But what I can say is this, that far too often in our culture, it's that we, we really see death as the ultimate end. But if we truly understand the gospel, if we did know that amount of time, if I knew that on this date that I was going to leave this earth, that it ought to look maybe more like some of these high school seniors in going just this amount of time and I'm going to graduate. I'm going to lead this life because there's something better. There's something more and I'm looking forward to it. I desperately want it so bad. So, so here's three crucial questions that, that I think help us to clarify whether or not we, we've got a heavenly mindset. Whether or not you've truly set your mind on things above whether or not you really are thinking about the things that, that are to come. Three really simple questions. Number one, and these aren't on the screen. You've got to take these notes. I didn't put them up there for you. Number one, first question, whose opinion truly matters? Whose opinion truly matter? Students, I'm going to talk to you for just a minute, but everybody in here, I want you to listen. Some of you are living your life for somebody's opinion 
that in the long run is not going to matter. Whose opinion really matters? In fact, it's hard to get people to believe this, but at a lot of phases in your life, you think like, uh, you think that we're going to be like you're going to be best friends forever. I, I remember when I was growing up, Christian music kind of came out. Do you remember that song, Friends are Friends Forever if the Lord's the Lord of Them? Oh man, you'd get in camp and at, at some camp and everybody would hold hands and sway back and forth like Kumbaya was playing and everybody would be crying out their hands on each other. Man, I love you. We're going to be best friends. You ain't talked to those people in 20 years. And the reason I'm bringing that up is that's going to be what it's like in a lot of phases of your life. It doesn't mean that people don't matter. It doesn't mean that people don't love you. But we really need to be thinking about whose opinion really matters in our life. Really, that helps us to frame whether or not we've got a heavenly mindset. Number two, number two, what investments truly matter? What investments truly matter? What am I investing in in my life that has eternal value? It's not all just about here and now and temporal or creature comforts. What investments truly matter? And then, I think to summarize it, the third question asks this. What goals, what goals really matter? Or what goals truly matter? When you think about what it is that you want to achieve out of your life, it's nothing wrong with having career goals. There's nothing wrong with having financial goals. There's nothing wrong with having relationship goals. But all of those things ought to fit into the broader context that those goals serve a higher purpose, and that is to be heavenly minded. All right, I can remember, how many of you have heard this expression? Have you ever heard somebody talk about somebody and they'll say, well, they're just so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good? I heard that growing up. They're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. What does that mean? People, a lot of times people mean it's that, that they've got their heads so caught up in the clouds that, that they're not making any difference. I'll tell you, I've never met the person that is so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. The people I know that are heavenly minded are the ones that are doing absolutely the most on this earth for the kingdom of God. Mark 8, 36. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet to forfeit his soul? It's about thinking about how to frame those goals. Have any of you noticed how smartphones have completely changed society? You, you picked up on that? It's unbelievable. Um, and, and we could spend a lot of time on that. I'm not. But I came across an article not long ago about a town in Germany, Salzburg, Germany. And what they're doing there, or Austria, excuse me, Salzburg, Austria. And what they're doing in Austria is they were having so much problems because much of the city is a, is a walking district. And so they were having so many problems with people not looking up from their cell phones that they were having accidents people walking into the street, people walking into poles, people walking into buildings. People are hospitalized because they won't look up from doing this. That's not hard for me to believe at all. I don't know how we don't have more car accidents than what we have. It, it seems like every time you look up, somebody's looking down. Um, now, 
people are so connected to their phones. Do you know that they're actually doing physical therapy now, that there's a, a clinical term, they call it TexNet? You heard about this? Because you, young kids, I'm talking about 14, 15-year-old kids, have ruined their posture because their necks are like this. So you have to strengthen your neck and, and do all kind of exercises to get rid of text neck. So I have no trouble believing that this town was having these problems. So this is how far they went. On, on the lamppost on the streets, they put big, colorful signs to tell people to look up. Now, I think that's odd because if you aren't looking up, how would you see the sign? But on the signs, they padded them. They padded the street. There were so many people running into poles that they put pads around the poles so that hopefully when people walked into the poles, they wouldn't injure themselves on the street. That's, a, that's fascinating to me. To think about people that are so enamored with their phone that they can't look up long enough to keep from walking into a light pole. So I'm getting a kick just thinking about this. I've got a weird sense of humor. I'll read articles. I'll be laughing all by myself just thinking about Because I can see it. You can too. we got idiots everywhere. People will walk into, a, walk into a light pole. I have no trouble believing that. So I'm reading it, and, and I, it just hit me. It may not be your cell phone, but that's the exact same thing that I think this passage is getting at when there's an entire heavenly world that we ought to be focused on and we don't ever look up from the muck and the mire of what's going on here. We get so caught up in today and this week and what's going on and the stresses and the anxieties that the best description that anyone could have, the, the best call on your life is to quit looking here and look up. And when you look up, we look up to the heavenlies and we see what it is that God has done. Um... I've had some good dogs in my life. The Lord has blessed me. Um, I had a chocolate lab years ago. In fact, had her when we moved here. Um, a chocolate lab. Her name was Lucy. Um, we got her uh, when we were first married. Got her before I had any kids. And when they say a high-energy animal, this was a high-energy animal. She was she was bred from stock that was retriever stock. And when I tell you that dog would go all day long. And, and so just to try to get her to calm down, to just try to get some of the energy out, we would, we would just go outside in the afternoons and I had a yellow tennis ball. And I had to be careful because she couldn't see the, if she, once she saw the tennis ball, it was over. Like, she, her whole body would start to quiver and vibrate. She'd shake and she'd whine. And you could throw that tennis ball, and I promise you, you'd end up with a rotator cuff injury from throwing the tennis ball before she would quit. She would go and go and go and go. You could take the tennis ball just like this, and she'd sit, and you could go up with the tennis ball, and her head would go up. You go down with the tennis ball, head would go down, side to the side. You could throw it across, you could throw it across the Okatoma River. She would go get it. You could throw it in the woods. She'd sniff it out and find it. She was obsessed with this tennis ball. And I think about that little chocolate lab we have for so many years, and I think about her and how excited she would get. And I think sometimes that, that what God really desires for us 
is for us to be able to look upon Him and recognize that when we see Him, that everything else falls out of focus, that everything else loses its need to be a priority in our life. And the reason is, is because now we recognize that is our goal, that is our hope, that is our purpose. And so what do we do? We do exactly what the hymn told us to do. We turn our eyes upon Jesus. We look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will do what, church? Strangely dim in the light, His glory, His grace.